I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, April 3rd, 2022, and this is episode 165 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is that Savage City came out. It's out into the world. Launch day was Thursday. I kept thinking it was Friday, and I was always off a day. (laughs) So last week, I had to finish the bonus scene that you get if you sign up for my newsletter after you read the book and get the delivery of that all set up, the newsletter, the actual list that you get on, and the autoresponder. So there's an automatic sequence of emails that you get after you sign up for that list. I deliver the, the bonus scene. And then sort of the rest of the bonus content that I normally give people. Um, so yeah, I have to check that you're not already on my list and so that you get the bonus scenes without duplicating other things. It didn't take that long, but it, it took time to t- do it and test it and all of that and, did, and update it. Um, and then all of the other kind of pre-launch activities. And so Thursday morning was launch day and I woke up. And I kept thinking that I was missing something, like I forgot something, something's wrong. Now the pre-order's been up for a while. I checked a week or two ago before the deadline to make sure that the most recent version of the ebook had been uploaded everywhere. And it was like 6.30 or 7 o'clock. I woke up and I was like, whoa, I forgot to publish the paperback on Amazon. So I had done it a few weeks ago because in order for me to buy my author copies, the paperback copies from Amazon, which is actually the cheapest place to buy the paperbacks for me, uh, I had to make it, I had to publish it. And so my friend was like, oh, just make it $99. No one will buy it. And you can, um, you can order it yourself. And then I also noticed on the message board that you can't take it off sale until you actually get the copies because, you know, Amazon has to print them for them to print them and have to be available for whatever reason. So I made it $99. And my friend was like, oh, I do it all the time and nobody ever, you know, buys the book. Nobody notices. Well, like three people <laughs> noticed that it was $99. And two people actually bought it at $99. And I, because I was looking at my dashboard and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I thought it was like the pre-orders, but I don't get that money until release day. And I expected returns immediately, but so far they haven't returned those books. So I don't know who those two people were who bought the paperback of Savage City when it was $99. Uh thank you, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, after that debacle, as soon as I had received my copies, I took it off offline. I took it off of publishing, put it back into draft mode. And I had meant to do it a couple of days early, uh, put it back on at the proper price of $14.99, and I had forgotten. So I did it early that morning. Luckily, since I guess it had already been published, republishing it, which can take a day or two because they have to go through the review process on Amazon by like 8.30 or 9, it was up and available. So it's like, ah, oh, if someone wants to buy the paperback on release day, I'm glad that they can, at least if they do it after 9 o'clock. Uh, so there was that. There's, you know, posting. I realized I hadn't made the graphics for the actual release. I, all my graphics were like, coming soon, pre-order now. So I did that. I posted. Um, I had to make sure that the people who pre-ordered directly from me got in their eBooks and the bonus content that the digital content that I was giving for people who pre-ordered and send that out. It was a whole long list of things that I had to do. Luckily, I had gotten the paperbacks out. I think I sent those out Monday or Tuesday for most people. And yeah, it was busy, a busy day of activity. 
I didn't really expect that I would get a whole lot else done. And then Thursday night, I could not sleep. I couldn't get to sleep at all. I think it was the adrenaline or just the excitement of the day. And then the kind of the worrying that set in, the the stress that kind of sets in because like the book is out. It's amazing. It's wonderful. People can buy it. Will anyone buy it? And even as I say that, you know, I exceeded my pre-order goals. So Savage City is my first self-published full-length novel since 2015. In 2015, I released four books, Song of Blood and Stone, Angelborn, Whispers of Shadow and Flame, and Angel Fall. Two of those are long novels. At the time, they were 80,000 words when they were self-published, uh, the Ersinger books. And the Angel books are about 45,000 words. A short novel. But yes, four books. Those are the full, only full-length books I self-published. And then, you know, I got the um, the deal the next year to do Ersinger Chronicles with St. Martin's Press. I never put out another Angel book. We've talked about that. <laughs> we don't need to go into that again right now. I've written things. I rewrote books for St. Martin's several times. Other books came, all traditionally published. I self-published novellas and short stories. So anyway, I was not sure how a full-length paranormal romance self-published release was going to go for me, low these seven years later. And so my goal had been to do um, make 100 pre-orders. And I... It, it's wide, so the, the the books are widely available. I'm not exclusive to Amazon or anything. So I can see my pre-order numbers on Amazon, and I would check them every few days. I go through draft-to-digital for um, many of the other retailers, well, for Apple and, and foreign retailers. I go direct to Barnes & Nobles and to Google Play and to Kobo. And none of them showed pre-orders. I don't know about Barnes & Noble because I technically haven't sold any copies on Barnes & Noble, but Kobo wasn't showing pre-orders and D2D would show Apple, but it was like six for the whole time. It stayed at six. I was like, oh, is that the real number? I wasn't sure. It turns out it was not the real number. And luckily, I exceeded my goal. I ended up selling 139 pre-orders across all retailers, including direct for me. And that's ebook and paperback combined. So I just had a number. I threw a random number out there. Like 100 seems like uh, something that would be challenging to hit, especially seven years, no self-publishing. Um, but seems doable, you know, like if I can do a hundred, then that would give me confidence. And I did it and I met the goal and it felt amazing. And I was very happy and I'm very grateful to everyone who pre-ordered. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. Um, and everyone who orders now and in the future. And of course, as it often happens, you set a goal, you meet the goal, and then you want to move the goalpost, which is good. It's natural. You can't be stagnant. And I think, you know, it's always the balance between, gratitude and um, celebrating the, the wins and then trying to push further and meet new goals and stretch and grow. And uh, so part of me not being able to sleep Thursday night, I think, in addition to adrenaline, was just worry about, okay, I hit that first goal post. What is the next goal? And can I meet that one? And how will I do it? And just thoughts of, you know, like I was talking to my husband, I was like, what... I guess fear of failure, you know, what if I fail? And he was like, well, what does failure mean? Like, what does success mean? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. He was like, well, you have to know what it means. How will you know if you failed if you don't know what it means to succeed? And these are very basic concepts. These are things that I tell people all the time. I always talk about setting your goals. I think, you know, whenever you're asking a question, um, knowing your goals is the foundation to the answer. 
But when it comes to me and it comes to setting goals, like what does success mean? It's like, well, I could say something, but if I don't meet that, that means I've already failed. So it's like, I'm scared to even set a, a goal for success. Like what does success look like for me? You know, if I, if I set a sales goal or a monetary goal or something like that, and then I don't hit it, you know, like that's why I haven't set any goals. <laughs> but at the same time, I worry and stress about failure when I haven't defined success. There is um, an article on helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com, K.M. Weiland's website that I will link to. It's called How to Know When You're a Successful Author. It's pretty recent. And yeah, it kind of just goes through this. It's like no one can can uh, define success for you. That's something that you have to define for yourself. You know, I have friends who they're very clear goal, like they want to hit the New York Times bestsellers list. And I think that's that's a great goal. You know, that's not something they can control. Um, and even with high sales numbers, you know, the New York Times bestsellers list is curated. It is not simply a measure of the top selling books. USA Today is a measure of top selling books. New York Times is curated. So, you know, I know authors who have sold enough copies to that they should have, should have, um, you know, hit the list, but did not for unknown reasons of curation. There are indie books that, um, you know, that aren't printed at the right size. There's just weird things like that. You have to sell at wide retailers. You can't hit the list if you're Amazon exclusive, et cetera, et cetera. So, there's all kinds of reasons why why that's not my goal because of, you know, everyone's goals are different. You know, like it would be wonderful to hit the New York Times, but I can't say that that is my goal. Like I'm going to feel like I'm a success because if I never do, will I never feel like a success? But, you know, I, I, I was looking back at my notes from a few years ago when I did Sarah Cannon's HB90 uh, bootcamp, which is a class I still recommend. It's on setting goals and you know, organizing your life and Kanban boards and planners and things like that, things I love. But at the very beginning, she's very clear, like she makes you do a vision statement and she um, asks you to outline what success means for you. And I look back at this thing that I wrote um, over two years ago now, and my list of what success looks like for you is being someone's favorite author, having my books stay under six figures in Amazon rank, maintaining a consistent audio, maintaining a consistent audience. And then I have some sales goals um, for both indie and traditional. And then the top three things I want to accomplish in my career, write stories that I love, not compromise my vision, find readers who love my work. Figuring out success helps you figure out failure, I guess. Because right now, in the place where I was and I'm trying to get out of, it's like everything feels like failure because I haven't said what success is. And I'm still kind of afraid to have a goal because I'm afraid of not hitting it, you know? And so that just amps up the tension. Um, and especially being a perfectionist, which if I could stop, I would. It's extremely time-consuming and energy-draining to be a perfectionist. I don't want to be, but... That's the way my brain is wired, or that's the way it is at the moment. And maybe that's something I can work on and change. You know, I've been trying to let things go and, you know, all of that stuff. 
But um, yeah, so it's like all of the, the highs come with lows. And it kind of reminds me, oddly enough, of I don't want to talk about the Oscars and the slap heard around the world. But what Denzel Washington reportedly, or what Will Smith said that Denzel said to him, um, that, you know, when you're at your highest highs, that's when the devil comes. I'm paraphrasing badly as usual. It's like, yeah, when you're feeling high, when you're at high moments, something comes, whether you want to call it the devil or resistance, fear, whatever that thing is, comes and tries to take your joy. And I'm not always good at celebrating the wins. I do say that a lot. I try to be better at that because I know on its heels often is a low. A low is coming. This particular release kind of happened in the middle of, I was already in an energetic emotional low. So it's very easy for you me to have that blip and then kind of sink back to where I was before. And yeah, I'm just trying to work through that, think about success and think about failure in a way that isn't scary and that sort of allows me to continue business-wise artistically and creatively in a way that allows me to move forward. In that same vein, another article on that same site, um, Helping Writers Become Authors, is should you take a break from writing? Because I've been feeling like not writing. So this week I did, I finished writing and editing, polishing that bonus scene. That was really the only writing I did this week. I did research for the new Orbit book. Um, I've, I've, I cracked open these books that I bought, and uh, I'm looking for some specific information about very specific things. And I'm not sure if I'll be able to find them in these books or not. And I'm thinking about other resources, like I might have to like find someone to talk to, an interview, like an expert in this field, which I can do. I'm a grown-up. I can talk to people I don't know. I'm also an introvert. So the things I just said are things that I'm saying to myself to make myself believe that they're true. Um, but you know, I've done it before. It's just taxing to think about that kind of thing, like email a person and ask them questions. <laughs> anyway, I'm digressing. Um, but yeah, I will link to that article too, because I've been thinking, am I burnt out? Is that what this is? Is this a different burnout than I felt before? And I was talking to my friends, my mastermind group the other day, and one of them brought up Becca Simon's concept of energy pennies, which I feel like I've heard her talk about, but not in detail. But the gist of it, as I understand it, is just, you know, you have, if you think of your energy as a currency, and when you spend it, you have to earn or create more, kind of like crypto. <laughs> And I am in a deficit. I feel like I'm in an energy debt. I went on vacation and had an empty tank, got it back to 25%, spent it immediately. Not just writing, work, family, all the other things that pull energy. And so now I'm back very low. And I need to focus more on um, acquiring more energy pennies. And I think that means filling the well and kind of focusing on things that I actually enjoy. There are things that I enjoy about the writing process. I like the research. I like 
I like plotting, and those are things that I actually need to be doing. I was pushing myself to write because of schedule reasons, and I wrote the first act of Beastly Kingdom, and it felt good, deceptively good. It was deceptively easy. That was the last of my pennies. I knew going into act two, I had much of act two plotted, but not to the degree that I was actually comfortable with. And there's a lot of uncertainty about both Beastly Kingdom and Orbit Book 2. Even though they're both plotted, they have synopses, people have read them, well, one of them, and given me feedback. They're not to the point where I feel comfortable with them, as comfortable as I would like to, and that makes it harder too. And I cannot push right now. So in order to like reclaim my pennies... I really need to focus on things that I actually enjoy about the process and take my time, take more time than maybe I have, but allow myself to take the time that it takes. Otherwise, I am in danger of completely breaking down and not, you know, I'm being at that point where like Kay Weiland in that article I mentioned, she took a year off of fiction writing. Um, I know people who take months, a year, years, for a variety of reasons. But, you know, if you hit actual burnout, like there's an actual physical, mental burnout, which is a little bit different than sort of the colloquial burnout that I talk about. But actual burnout is a thing that can take a long time to recover from. And that is something that I don't think I've actually ever really, really hit. Um you know, the burnout that I had before it was a couple of months, and then I was able to get back to it. So yeah, I, I'm going to fill the well. I've been reading a lot. I've been reading a lot. <laughs> and I still love the stories, you know, finding those things in the stories that I love and nurturing those, and getting to a place where I'm more comfortable, where I'm less uncertain about the things I can control. You know, I think it comes down to, as a perfectionist and as a self-admitted control freak, having things that that you can control feels comfortable. And, you know, the things when I can control my stories and my writing, I'm not hurting anybody. It's not like I'm trying to control my spouse or, you know, do things that have the uh, potential to harm other people emotionally or whatever. So I try to funnel it into healthy, healthy ways to give myself that control that I so earnestly need and desire. In doing more research for Orbit Book 2, I've been actually reading poetry. I, you know, there's circuitous paths and these rabbit holes that you fall into looking at one thing and then ending up buying the collected poems of Lucille Clifton, <laughs> which I did and I have right next to me. Um, yeah, and I've kind of opened it up. There's a specific poem that relates to the book that I'm writing, well, that I found when I was doing the research. And so I was like, yeah, I need, I need more poetry in my life. I need to, to grab hold of that inspiration. Um, I've been doing research on like a variety of things and, and logging it in my research log for this novel. And also, as I collect things, I'm like, oh, that would make a great chapter title. So I'm actually making a list of just phrases from poems or just turns a phrase that I see out there 
that might make really nice chapter titles. So maybe each chapter title can be its own thing. And um, that may not pan out at all. Like, catch me in two years when the book is out and we'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think poetry is very inspiring. The lyricalness, the, the brevity. I don't need to explain why poetry is inspiring, but I'm in a place right now where it is to me. And I'm, I'm enjoying that, you know. In other news, I watched Bridgerton. I finished it. I, at first, I did not like it. The first episode, I was like, I don't like either of these characters. and I don't care if they fall in love. And I was like, let me watch. Let me give it a couple more before I completely just write it off. And it started to grow on me. Now, I have not read the books. I didn't read any Bridgerton books, even though I'm a big fan of historical romance. Somehow this series, I never got to. Uh, so I wasn't aware of all the changes that were made from the original. After I finished the series, I went back and I read some articles and, you know, found out about the changes. And I'm like, oh, the book sounds way better. <laughs> but I did end up enjoying season two of Bridgerton. I think I might have enjoyed it a little bit better than season one, actually, even though I had a lot of problems with it. But I felt like I had to watch the whole thing just so I could be conversant in Romancelandia. <laughs> Because everyone was talking about it. Um, but yeah, it's obvious they don't make the show for romance reader fans. And that's okay, I guess. I don't know. I, I get why they made the changes that they did filmically. And in some ways, the added drama of it all was very, you know, cinematic, television-matic. <laughs> in other ways, as a romance novel fan... The way it went down in the book, from what I can gather, just seemed like it would have fulfilled that more than the television show did. So, still recommended. And I've been saving this book since it came out uh, a couple months ago. I finally read Colleen Hoover's latest Reminders of Him. Sometimes I keep her books like in a glass box in case of emergency, and I found myself in in need of a Colleen Hoover book. I was like, I'm ready to be emotionally destroyed. So bring it on. And it's a story about a young woman who um, goes to jail for five years for involuntary manslaughter for her boyfriend. She realizes while she's in jail that she's pregnant and the baby goes to live with the uh, boyfriend's parents. And when she gets out, she wants to have a relationship with her daughter. And uh, they view her as the person who murdered their son, even though it was an accident. So it fulfilled what I needed. It's a gorgeous, beautiful book, like everything Colleen Hoover writes. She is one of my favorite authors. Her recent success on TikTok, on BookTok, I mean, has been phenomenal and insane and completely deserved. She's got like four or five books on New York Times, old books, you know, at the same time for months. And I, you know, you it's one of those authors that I read and I'm like, I love this so much. I wish I could do this. I can't do anything like this, but I love it so much. You know, some some authors you read and you're like, gosh, why do I write? <laughs> I can't ever do this. What am I doing here? And sometimes that, that feeds you. Like, even though I know I'll never, I'll never reach those sort of emotional depths, that sort of understanding of how humans think and behave that I feel like she does so well. 
there's things I can take from it. And like, I wish I, I can push a little bit. Like I can take what I can do, my strengths, and um, try to bring a little bit of that emotionality to it. Like I would love to be able to do that more. So yeah, that was really, really good. And I feel like I've earned some extra pennies from reading that. I know that she is doing a sequel to It Ends With Us. And I'm going to have to reread It Ends With Us before that new book comes out. Sometimes I just have to save the Colleen Hoover books for when I'm like my husband's out of town or something. I'm home alone. I can just sob and cry and not have him be like worried about me. Like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh no, it's just this book. And I'm just like, sobbing. But it's so wonderful. And I love it so much. And yes, please read reminders of him if you are ready. Just, you know, give yourself some time, get some tissues. It's beautiful. I loved it. So. That is it for me for this week. My goals for the week are to continue to work in a way that earns me some pennies instead of costs me them. And that's across the board. That's not just with writing. That's my business. Um, and I guess bring that into my personal life. Like try to focus on uh, just kind of digging myself out of this dip that I'm in and trying to come back to everything with a, a clear head and with a little bit more energy and um, fuel. So I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.